And welcome to the New Age Boxing Podcast. With me, Andy White, and with me today, the man flu extraordinaire. Martin Theobald, I'll try not to uh, sneeze, cough, etc. throughout this, as I've been doing all week. You said you've been sniffing like a drug dealer most of the week. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> I'm not sure how much drug dealers sniff, I'm not that okay Well, with... you don't get home your supply. Yeah, yeah. Famously, you see, and there we go, I've just pissed on the bonfire of... Okay, oh, we can all do this. So, before I introduce myself, I just want to say today my role will be solely as moderator and question asker. Because someone has a bee in their bonnet about not being able to contribute. No, no, no. He, he's upset no, no, no. that people don't know who Wait he is. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's, that's not remotely my problem. <laughs> like, it's... No one, talks. no one knows who he is, thank but he doesn't much. tweet, though. Thank, <laughs> thank you very much to two people this week that have left <laughs> us uh, iTunes reviews. Like Those two people, superb. Um, both of which left <laughs> us really nice reviews as a podcast that I think we should be happy with. Uh, one of which was uh, Matty underscore David. What uh, was the other one? Uh, <laughs> the other one, I'm scrolling back through... Uh, Jack Beeston, so yeah. the two of you. Good old you Jack Beeston, well done, mate. So nice Matt, one. Andy's had this issue all week. <laughs> <laughs> no one knows who he is. Because he's no, that's not my problem at all. Like the people know who I am, but do you know what I do for this podcast, people? Do you know the sacrifices I make? <laughs> Andy puts the I don't hours in. Whatever, I, I'm really not. I'm playing. I'm <laughs> you should see him. He is. He's living. He's raging. He's raging about. Do you know what? I mean, it's like watching Xavier Alonso get two-footed. Yeah, I mean that is that is the extent to which I am. I'm foaming at the mouth. Um, well, Matty David, consider yourself reprimanded. Any further, any further um, highlighting of individuals on the podcast that don't include me, you'll be ejected. No, myself and Terry are massive fans of Matty underscore David. <laughs> Because he left us a nice review. The guy speaks the truth. Like, like you can't fault that review. Factually, it's correct. If, if well, he knew you did the editing, Andy, he would have applauded your editing. Oh, maybe. Well, I don't know. Maybe, but I, Andy's left a few in there. Right? Maybe in testament to my editing, he's just edited me out of the <laughs> of the, <laughs> of the review. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, thanks, mate. That's, that means a lot. Okay, well, we have a really exciting show for you today starting off with a really exciting review of a really exciting boxing uh, boxing display last night at the Dovebox I'm going to throw this over we've just got a question in like as I'm sat around here from uh, <laughs> JP Smith at Boxing Luton I, I just want to read this out live for uh, Terry's reaction because uh, going back to last night there was Dominic Akinlade who is a, a friend of Terry's uh, versus Nathan Gorman English title eliminator <laughs> JP Smith <laughs> Has just tweeted me saying, "What's next for Fraudimic Akinlade?" <laughs> <laughs> so Terry, <laughs> I will allow you to answer. <laughs> Dominic was robbed last night. <laughs> <laughs> what on the way home? <laughs> 
<laughs> no, 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 seriously. Um, it's a tricky one, right? Dom's a good friend of mine. And I have to balance being honest with being a friend. So, tricky. This was a fight. Don't worry about it. Martin's brutal when he's honest with me. <laughs> yeah, but Martin's not six foot four and about 17 and a half stone, right? <laughs> Sometimes you've got to see people and they're larger than they appear in pictures. No, but Big Dom, it was there for him. There's nothing Nathan Gorman brought yesterday that Dom hasn't seen before. You have to look, you know, when a fighter does well, they take the plaudits. When a fighter doesn't do well, they have to take full accountability. He has to take full accountability for that. I'm not going to blame the guys at Miguel's. Their job is to train to the best of their abilities. I think they did that. As a fighter, as a 36-year-old man, you should work out whether what you're doing is the right thing. My suspicions were always that to beat Nathan Gorman, you'd need to be throwing at least 45 to 55 shots around. That's the only way you're going to make him work for those 10 rounds. I, I said to Dom, it's a 600-punch fight. You need to find 600 punches, and that will be enough to keep him at bay. It didn't happen. Um, I don't think Dom slipped out of that comfortable gear that he always gets into. It's... It's hurtful to watch because I know how good he can be when he gets the bit between his teeth. But look, at that heavyweight level, it's a mindset thing. You either have that mindset, you're either a big man and you want to lay waste to a division, or you don't. It was interesting hearing you. Know, even Dave Allen's confusion and frustration at what Dominic was doing. David Allen was commentating on the Facebook stream for it, right? Yeah. And you could see, you know, you could see that you're watching, you're like, if Dom did anything more than he's doing now, he'd have Nathan Gorman in trouble because Nathan couldn't hurt him. But boxing's a cruel sport. And I don't know if there's a way back because Nathan Gorman, skillful, talented, but is a light hitter. You start moving up the levels, you know, with your Ian Lewisons, who I think would have dealt with Nathan Gorman. And that's the strange thing. So so if we take a step back and we look at Dom, in the amateurs, Dom fought Derek Chisora, should have won that. We we thought that was an easy fight for him. We thought the Joshua fight was a layup because it was like, who is this Joshua kid? Who's got, why has he even got, well, I remember it was like, why has he got a first name and a first name? Like, what's his surname? <laughs> I remember that. Going, what is his surname? Oh, Dom, how are you going to beat a guy with no surname? I mean, like, yeah, I mean, you got to do that. And then you, Josh won. And, you know, then came the soul-searching. I think it was that fight that said, nah, look, this guy's trained with Ian Lewis, and Ian Lewis shot past him. He's trained with Chisora, shot past him. He's trained with all these guys, sparred them, and they've all shot past him. But he's the most talented of the lot of them, which tells you it's not a physical thing, it's a mental thing. So it was tough watching. I'm a Nathan Gorman fan. You know, we had a good conversation at the press conference. But Dom's a friend. I, I'm sure we'll speak at some point, and I'll be honest and say, what's left in the tank? I think you know I can speak without the emotional attachment that perhaps Terry has to it all. Um, it was one of the worst fights I've ever seen. Like <laughs> Terry nearly lost his drink. <laughs> Like, 
let's not fuck around. It was a terrible, terrible heavyweight fight. And so you've got David Allen on uh, commentary. You know, as they get through two rounds and he's... Terry talking- definitely isn't laughing. <laughs> he's shaking his head with a, with a mysterious face of reflect on it. You get through two rounds <laughs> and these two men, like, they're barely throwing a punch at one another. And David Allen's talking about how they're feeling each other out and, you know, this will uh, this will pick up. And then by round 10, they're still barely throwing a punch at one another and they're still seemingly, you know, feeling each other out, which it was just bizarre to see. It was weird because one of the things I saw in Nathan was he was wary of Dom. And then he was almost surprised that Moore wasn't coming back. He hadn't Yes. He hadn't prepared to go on the attack, I don't think. I think he had said, I'm going to stay on the outside and counter. And when Dom didn't really bring the work rate he should have done, Nathan's, like, his plan went out the window as well. Like, well, I'm just going to win this. You know, it's one of those fights where you're like, let me just get out of here. And what makes this harder to take, and hopefully hopefully the Fight Talk guys are listening because they'll remember this. When Dom came into that press conference and he did the whole George Foreman from 1973 thing, and I said, I don't think this guy's going to win the fight because he stepped out of who he naturally is. You know, Dom's a happy-go-lucky guy who loves to box, and that's what I didn't see yesterday. Um, there was a guy with the world on his shoulders. Um, uh, he was in sparring partner mode for me. Like, he just didn't... He didn't have any aggression, any aggression at all, it seemed. Like, neither did Nathan Gorman particularly, but you kind of sat at home watching it. I always got the feeling that Nathan Gorman perhaps had other gears that he could have gone through. I didn't necessarily feel the same about Dominic Akinlade, that if... Gorman had found them. I'm not sure Akinlade would have kept up. And by about round seven, it just seemed like they were both happy just to see the fight out. And that's what happened. It was just so um, poor in terms of quality and action that I say it's uh, it, it didn't do an awful lot for me. And, and I feel for Tommy Dove. I really do. Because if you roll back to the beginning of February when this fight was being floated, it, you, no one would have said that's a shit fight. No, that was, we were like, whoa, two skillful heavyweights fighting for an English title. Absolutely brilliant. Nearly swore there. And then all of a sudden, ends up not being for an English title, title <laughs> and not being that good. And then you say to yourself, well, what's next? Yeah. No, I say it's like, it was. To me, just a real letdown of a fight, a real disappointment. And Andy, what did you think? Just, just, just if you managed to catch it, <laughs> Andy, 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 are you there? Are you there? Hello. I wonder, Matty David, fucking mugs you off. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, I had to just go and put something outside for my sister. <laughs> um, oh, wow. Right. So, one fight that you did tell us to look forward to was Brady's Huck. What happened? It was shit. <laughs> it was it was it was Akinlade Gorman. see Matty see <laughs> they're not always fucking right <laughs> it was it was Akinlade Gorman multiplied by Rose versus Arnfield from last week <laughs> oh god but it was Marco Huxer a shot fighter. I think there will be a rule that if a fighter is that shot, they need to tell us beforehand <laughs> so that we don't anticipate something good. Um, I'll tell you who wins out of that fight. 
Bell you. J- Johnny Nelson. No, no, no. Johnny <laughs> Nelson. Johnny Nelson must have watched that and gone, I can, yeah, I'm good. I can get this guy now. Yeah. It was just, it was a terrible fight. That was mostly Marco Huck's fault. Bradis didn't really, you know, Huck just spoiled a lot of stuff. He was the home fighter and he managed to get away with an awful lot of that um, out of the referee. Um, so it, I remember you saying to us that it was you thought it was going to be a real scrap. The, the two blokes that want to have a fight. Bradis wanted to have a fight. Huck just was shut there to shut him down. And I mean, the points scores, I, like from what I've seen, I can't remember what they were, but they were ridiculous. Like Bradis won to me all but one of the rounds, I think. And yet there were only maybe three or four points in it. And this was with the um, the WBC used open scoring for it. And so they announced the scores after every three or four rounds. I can't remember what it is. I think it's like round four, round eight. Round then, four, yeah. round eight. And then they give you the final score at the end. So they tell the fighters what the scores are going through. Um, and they have the headphones on the judges as well to try and block out the sound noise. Um yeah, you might as well have had blindfolds on them as well for how close those scores were. By the end, it was it was really poorly done. Um, but the right man won Bradis, but there's just not an awful lot to talk about out of it because it was a really dull fight. But, but, Christina Hammer fought in a middleweight bout and she looked good. Her opponent, honestly, if you're taken a bin line and stuffed it full of pillows and put it on a skateboard and just <laughs> dragged it on a string. That was her opponent. And what's worried me was, this is a woman who couldn't fight over here or in the US because she'd had a bleed on the brain. Jesus. What and she's fuck? in the ring. Not only is she in the With ring. Christina Hammer. Yeah. And she's 40. Mm. And I'm watching this. And the thing is, Christina Hammer looks fantastic. Um, I'm, I'm hearing all these guys wanting to jump in and turn pro and stuff. You might want to avoid Christina Hammer because she'll give she'll give Clarissa Shields at work. I'll be brutally honest. She looked really, really good yesterday. Her one-twos looked vicious, but, you know, in a women's boxing context, which means no one really got knocked over. But if you, if you watch it in slow motion, it looks good. Um, so that was a good fight to have on the card. I don't know if anyone managed to catch that, but that was a... A decent enough fight. Do we need to touch on AJ Carter? Well, I've seen. I didn't watch all the undercard um, of the Dove Box one, but yeah, Sokolowski iced him, and he's never done that to anyone, has he? Well, Sokolowski, yeah, yeah. You think he's knocked people out before? But no, no, no. But you know, sometimes you knock people out. Oh no, like, no, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very few people have knocked him out like AJ Carter got knocked out last night. That. And normally I'd make fun of that sort of knockout, I'm not going to lie to you, but it was scary because he got hit with a punch that didn't seem to really touch. Um, And, you know, if you can get the the proper video version of it, watch it, watch it closely. The punch didn't look like it touched and it definitely didn't touch at the peak of its full rotation. And it was like he had a convulsion. I've never seen that. Like he did the starfish against the ropes. It was like it was a reverse David Price, where David Price was a giraffe trying to drink water. He was like the reverse of that, and and I, and I'm sure I sent you guys a message going, "This is bad." Yeah. So he goes down. He gets up, takes a knee. He should not have been allowed to carry on that fight. That's when the fight should have been stopped. Unless someone in his corner said, "Stay down, stay down." 
Yeah, no, he should not have been allowed um, to carry on. And then he took, then he took another shot, and that that other shot just he he levitated. And I don't, I don't really know AJ Carter personally. Like I know Dom, I know him to say hello to. I was worried from a boxer's safety perspective because it all felt counterintuitive. The punches that did that to him didn't look like they came from anywhere. He made Sokolovsky look like George Foreman in that ring. And he's not George Foreman. Yeah, I mean, AJ Carter, let's be brutally honest, he's not really, you know, a great fighter. Um, I know he's had medical conditions. You have to worry about how much of that was triggered through the punches last night. I hope he's well. And if I'm honest, I hope he retires on the back of that and retires safely. Um but yeah, no, I didn't really catch much of the Dove Box show, the undercard, um, because it didn't really appeal to me, if I'm honest. It was, it didn't look great. <laughs> but you saw it on Facebook, which brings us neatly on to the next point, the Facebook streaming, something that you really can't get your head around. Right. Okay, so I put this out on Twitter last night, um, and a few people came back and argued against, which is all good. I enjoyed actually having a few conversations with people on it. Um, because it was something to do whilst Gorman and Akinlade <laughs> did fuck all in the ring. Um, so, yeah, it was just really about the point of this was being streamed live on Facebook, um, you know, as the fight's going on, on a very good quality stream. It wasn't like a camera off your phone stream. It was a legit uh, filming and... Yeah, it's not the first time they've done it. I know Dovebox ones have done other um, shows before. I think at its peak, there were about 850 people watching this stream. Oh, that's, when I, that's when I tuned in, actually. Yeah. Um, and I was just sat at home thinking, why, oh why, have you got this being streamed live to people at home? When you've got it at the Crystal Palace Sports venue, whatever it's called, I can't remember. And from the camera angle that they were using, it was half empty. Like, there were 50% of the chairs weren't being used. And yet you've got 850 people sat at home watching this live on Facebook that aren't paying a penny towards it. And so you've got fighters out there that, you know, the whole undercard is based on fighters have got to sell 100 tickets or whatever, which is the, the going average for what most undercard fighters have to do. Um, how hard is it to sell a ticket to your mates, your friends, your family? when actually they know that they can sit at home on the Saturday night and watch it for free on a high-quality stream on Facebook, they have to sign up to anything. You've already got the login. You can just go on there, type in Dovebox Promotions, and watch it. So 850 people isn't a lot, don't get me wrong. But, I mean, there's I can see the counter-argument to it. that If you can build up a big enough um, audience, then you can start to build sponsorship or whatever. But I think there were... 1,500 at any one point were watching the Matchroom Next Gen show, um, which was the one of your call a few weeks back that they streamed live. The undercard, the undercard they streamed live. They cut it off when it got to the main events. And with 1,300, 1,400, they didn't have sponsorship for that because that isn't a large number of people. 800 people watching this for free. Like, I just don't see the sense in it because if you said 10% of those people, like, say, 80 people, maybe would have gone to that and were umming and ahhing about whether to go. So it was on Facebook and went, nah, I'm not going to bother. Like, 
it's 35 quid for a ticket to the boxing. Then you've got to factor in like your travel, a few drinks, some food or whatever. You're probably looking at 70 to 80 quid in total. Or I can sit at home on a Saturday night, use that same money to get a takeaway and watch it on a decent quality stream. So you've just set me up nicely for that. Now, everyone's bored of paying 35 quid for bullshit. That's the problem boxing has. It's not the streaming, in my opinion. It's... I go to a Goodwin show. If there's a Camacho versus Carl Wheeler Myers, cool. Okay, I'm happy to watch that. If there's a... No, like a Rakeem Noble against... Uh, was it a senior byfield he was against? Uh, no, uh, uh, K Prosper before. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, happy to watch that. Like 35 quid, you give me that main event, I can say, okay. But they're few and far between. A lot of times, you're being asked to, to buy a ticket to sit through five or six hours of shit. And it is. It's, so it's shit. Well. It's so true. And, and the thing is, wow. there are a lot of boxers who are deluded, right? They're, they're fucking deluded that they deliver that sort of crappy product. <laughs> and then they say, why don't I get sponsors? And it's like, look, if you really want to get sponsorship, right? Sort your product out like every other business has to. If oh, you're not boy. getting the revenue in, fucking hell, fix the product. What is the key to quality boxing, producing quality boxing? Knock people out, right? At that level, if you're anything about yourself, knock people out. If you're if you're if you're getting to four rounders in a small hall show and you're winning 39, 37, and then you're like, why am I not getting sponsors? Because you're toilet. <laughs> <laughs> I think this I was having this uh, problem trying to get this over on Twitter last night. There's two types of boxing fans. I think people forget this, right? There are those that go to any boxing or are casual, and I'm going to use that in inverted commas, you know, sky boxing fans. that will go to an event at the MEN, will go to the O2, you know, that kind of boxing fan, right? I'll bracket those with the ones that would go to, you know, any York Hall show. So that's one type of boxing fan. The other type of boxing fan is the friend and family of the fighter. Now, they're not necessarily big boxing fans at all, but they're a friend of Terry, who's fighting at the York Hall next Saturday night. Go on, Terry. Um, <laughs> go on, lad. And so Terry has, to, Terry has to sell 100 tickets for that. And so those 100 tickets... Millwall, get that black bastard! <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> All these, sake. all these friends and family being asked to pay thirty five quid, like, to, and they're basically going to watch on the hall. On the whole, most small hall um, fans, I say fans, most small hall ticket buyers are there to watch one person. They're not there for the whole boxing show. They're there to support their friend or family member, and that's what it is. Like I say, bracket up into two: one that's the educated uh, or the sky boxing fan, and the other one is a friend or family, and that's the difference. Those educated and sky boxing fans, most of the sky boxing fans, I'd love to take a uh, straw poll of the 90,000 that are going to be at Wembley. How many of you have ever attended a small hall boxing show that isn't related to your friend or family? Like, it's going to be a very small number. But, but, but my question straight back is, but why would you? Because, because, and I'm, you know... I completely agree. Yeah. I'm not even arguing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and at my point, this is one I want to dig up the promoters. Because you're, promoters are there, and they're all doing it, hoovering up anyone who will lace on a pair of gloves. And the board are just giving them licenses. Can you count to three? Yes. Here's your license. You know, let's not talk about Bieber, 
or anything like that, which is a side issue for now. Oh, B-I-B-A rather than yeah. Justin. Exactly. <laughs> and then, no, no, so, so there's, there's no quality control. So there's nothing that tells me. In the old days, if someone said they were pro, it meant something. It means nothing now. It just means that you're, you're a guy at gym box who thought you'd give it a go. You know, and, and it's one of the things I think we've discussed that there's no, there's no, there's no getting rid of the dead wood. There's no, I think it's autophy. I don't know if that's the word. I've probably said it wrong, but it's this idea that in the human body, we're really good at getting rid of cells that aren't necessarily dead, but they're not bioactive. And the human body is really good at getting rid of those. And when you lose that ability, it's genuinely when illnesses and stuff start to happen. And I think it's the same in boxing. There's a point where there are boxers, and there was a couple of them on the Dove Box show. And you look and you're like, how many chances has this guy had? Get rid of him. Let another lad come in. And if he's not good enough, get rid of him. Let Don't don't give someone five years doing a small hall circuit, unless they're a journeyman. Unless they're a B-side, cool. But... Listen, you've got three years. If you can't sell tickets after three years, mate, go back to being a personal trainer. And then that will take all this shit out of the sport. And when you pay 35 quid, you'll have people, A, who know what they're doing, and B, that can put on a show. But you've said before that boxing's quite good at weeding out people who aren't good enough. So why are these people still floating around, well, still are, making a living? The top, boxing is good at that at the top level. There are some... You know, examples of fighters who have had their opportunities on Sky that have perhaps not won the fights when they're being broadcast and they end up kind of circulating around the, the small hall show. So they'll be the top end of the small hall. So that top end of boxing will get rid of those ones and, you know, they'll find a home on a small hall and that's fine. Like, there's no issue with that necessarily. So, um, yeah, someone like Waddy Camacho, right? To use him as an example, he's had fights on Sky. Uh, he's won something, he's lost something, he won prize fighter. Like, brilliant. He's an exciting fighter to watch. He's he's not a world-level fighter. He would be the first to admit that, I'm sure, Waddy. But he's still got aspirations of getting back up to British title level. So he's someone that could flip between that top of the small hall circuit and the kind of undercard of a Sky show. Um, so I've no issue at all with Waddy being around that level and going between the two. But there are a number of small hall fighters that make their career and there's one that springs to mind but I won't use his name um signed with MTK recently um probably best <laughs> um that is making his career like he's got uh, you know loss on his record or whatever somewhere a few years but making his career out of just fighting Hungarians and selling this dream to fans that like oh my big title fight's just around the corner you're like 20 fights down into a career like 19 Hungarian taxi drivers that you've knocked out and the title fight has always been just around the corner like that kind of fighter to me and then they'll complain boxing's such a hard sport like I can't get sponsors I can't sell tickets I can't do this I can't do that like yeah well, well, no, no, of course you can't well, well no, 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 no let's be honest you can sell tickets and you can get sponsors no one wants to buy tickets no one wants to sponsor you because on the list of people they could do that with you're kind of a mile and a half down. And and then there's another problem. Let's touch on this as well, because there's no real fights to discuss. This is going in deep. All the fights were crap. If you saw the, what's her name? The the Mexican lady, she fought a heavyweight fight against a former heavyweight champion. Crap. So that's the only update you guys needed. Crap. Some guy called Orozco knocked out some guy from Kentucky in the US. Crap. Okay? <laughs> like so, knocked him out. Crap. Oh, Shouldn't right. have fallen from that shot. 
So just, <laughs> all you need to do right now is listen to us because there's another issue we need to discuss. I'm going to call it the Raki Noble principle. And I like Rakeem Noble. I think he's a good guy. But when we saw the gap between him and Tommy Coyle, we realised there's something not quite right in the small hall circuit in that nothing's bubbling to the top to any level of quality. Because let's be honest, if you saw Rakeem Noble in a gym or if you followed him for a week and you followed Tommy Coyle for a week, you, you'd, you'd pick Rakeem Noble 10 times out of 10 to beat the guy. You would. You'd go, do you know what? This Noble's doing everything right. He's up there, he's running, he's in shape. Yeah, what a guy. Yeah, I hope he does well. He fought Tommy Cole, and I don't think Tommy Cole thought he was in trouble at any point in that fight. And now you say to yourself, how do you close that gap? I think Tommy Cole did break his eye socket at the end of the first round. Well, his own or, or His own. He had it broken. But I don't think he cares. Uh, maybe yeah, he doesn't, yeah. yeah. He's that sort of guy. I don't think... He's like, well, what do I need an eye socket <laughs> I've got another one. Yeah, but, but you know, he uh, he was hurt, I'm sure. But but not really in trouble. If you, when, you, when you... It seemed to make him step up. They, yeah, he poked, he poked a lion. Yeah. yeah. And and that's my point, is that... Ed, that was the best example of that, because if you said Tommy Cole in a matchroom card, you're like, nah, that's going to be a shit fight. And you say Rakeem Noble on a small hall card, that's going to be a good fight. They meet up and there's this chasm between them. And you're like, it should have been closer than it was. And I know people say, ah, he took it at short notice. I don't think fitness was an issue. I don't think sharpness was an issue. There was something about the execution. And then I looked around and said, who in the small hall could make that step up? Because you would have said someone like Noble could do it. Maybe... Jermaine's smile could do it, but that would be more on toughness. There's a handful of people you look at and go, they might be able to cross over. But there should be a lot more, considering how many small hall events there are, there should be a lot more people stepping up. Someone like Adam Etches, he, he hasn't stepped up. The problem, I mean, Matchroom will start filtering out the bottom of their stable. So the likes of Tommy Coyle, uh, likes of John Ryder, Rocky Fielding... <clears throat> you know, some of those will start to be filtered out the bottom of their stable, um, and they're being replaced by top-level Olympians and and, and so and that, amateurs in general. They're, they're none. Of, so Hearn has just said, no one's going through the small halls. I'm doing next gen because yeah, yeah. sod the small hall bullshit, and 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 it, no small hall promoter reacted to that as a big middle finger because they should have. Because you know, you, you sit there, you listen to the old school guys with the grey hair and the coffee breath. Wow, listen, the small hall is the lifeblood of British boxing, and what it does. Skeletal. <laughs> okay, stop. <laughs> mate, mate, really, like, small hall, Dennis Hobson, and all that. Right, uh, I tell you out for now, mate, like, it's lifeblood. It's the lifeblood. Out for now. Yeah, it's the lifeblood of British boxing, you know, with all that Brexit and that. You ain't really got no Hungarian taxi drivers That's no like more. That's like Kel Brook now. <laughs> that's what he would have said but but basically I think my message is this look Hearn Warren everyone's bypassing the small hall circuit because it's not proving anything it, it's designed to sell tickets and not develop fighters now so people are bypassing it so what, why would you even go there's no hope of half the well actually 90% of those guys on small hall shows will never gravitate to anything above that but I don't think that's necessarily different to 10 years ago I mean if you look back to 10 years ago 90% of the names, if you look through a, a fight card as you'd have got back then, 90% of the names would never have gone above English level, so. 
there's just not room for it. But but those those Calzaghis, those Macronellis, all started out in shitty sports centres. No, absolutely. Like the the ones and, that the top end ones would have gone through that yeah, same system. And, and, and now they've stepped out. Like the whole reason for small hall shows to exist has almost vanished. And the next question is then, what's the new commercial model? Because it's not. I'll come and sign with us. You'll end up on a matchroom card. That's just not the reality. So, so, so then look, because if I, I hope he's not listening to this show this week, but if I was Steve Goodwin, I would. I'd be sat there. And I'd be like, I'm gonna get all of these trainers I work with in. I'm gonna say, teach your fuckers to knock people out and have some entertaining fights. And then the small hall circuit becomes a place where people just show up to have a tear up. You know, defensively sound, but everyone's come to have a little bit of a row and. We all go home happy. And I'll pay 35 quid for that. So is that what you'd do in order to, if you gave the sport a health check and Dr. Terry was asked by a small hall promoter to, like, how can I make my fights more spicy at my events? Is that, you know, what What would you, what? how would you go about it? Would you, that would be your sole focus, looking for knockout. Well, well, yes, and a bit of technique layered on that. So I don't want people swinging wild haymakers like a white collar show. So I want to see a lot of stuff coming off the jab. But I want there to be that real mean intent of just, I'm wiping someone out. And so, why don't they do that now? You get a lot of young lads that come through the small hall circuit that are protective of that undefeated record. So, what you'll get is a archetypal journeyman in the opposite corner who isn't necessarily there to win. Um, I don't mean that corruptly necessarily, but not exactly there to win. They're there to test the prospect and get them through a few rounds. But those prospects don't want to take the risk because they see this undefeated record as being so important to them. I've seen a fighter who's fighting in April on a small hall show, who I think he's 3-0 and at the moment. There's a lot of personal um, social media stuff to try and build his profile. I respect that of a fighter. The ones that do go to the effort of trying to build their profile and things. I've seen him do a lot of things. But one of the things he's uh, marking himself as is come and see me defend my undefeated record. I'm like, defend your undefeated record is not a title. Like, There's no <laughs> belt you get for that. But that undefeated record is so imperative to some of these young lads that they're not going out there to try and get the knockout because you're told by your coach, etc. Don't go too wild because you could get caught with a, a, you know, a counter shot and you get knocked out. And at that point, these young lads that are like 2, 3 and 0, the ones that start taking losses early on, they sometimes then like lose. It's a bit of a reality check. And they suddenly realise they're not going to become world champions. They're not going to become British champion. They're not going to become English champion, perhaps not even area level champions. And that's when it starts to hit home at 2, 3 and 0. And then they take that first loss. And you see them start to filter themselves out of the sport a little bit. And so when Terry's talking about fighters going out and getting knockouts, that's where the reticence comes from the young lads, is that actually all these journeymen in the other corners, on any given week when they turn up in a small hall, they could knock you the fuck out. They have it in them to do that. They choose not to, at times, go looking for it. Um, that's just part of their job role. So, so see, see the, the problem I see straight away is that Terry's identifying the fact that knockouts make fighting well, boxing matches more exciting which i i would go along with yeah i get that but in conjunction with what you've just said and things you've said in the past you can easily therefore have a young prospect who goes into the ring very cagey because he wants to complete the uh, hold on to that o that he's got you've got the fact that like terry's suggesting that 
that they do, but then therefore on the assumption they don't do, i.e. the promoter saying, right, go out there and I want these knockouts and trainers. Maybe that's not being said to them. And then you've got a journeyman in the other corner who, again, from what you said before, if he gets knocked out, he can't fight for X amount of weeks and then he loses money that way. Yeah, so but he's- that's his problem. That's his problem. They'll get another journey. I know, but what I mean is, you've got two boxes in the ring that aren't looking for knockouts, and nobody's okay. telling to look for exactly. knockouts. Exactly. This is where Terry's saying, like, go, f- like Andy Nayland, prime example of a journeyman fighter who goes out and will maybe throw three, four punches per round, five punches, six, maybe ten if you're on a good night, and he just goes on the retreat all the time. And every light heavyweight I've seen in with him hasn't got the ring nails to cut the ring off. They just walk around following ju- his. Footsteps. It just seems to me that everyone's. Um, if people are going to these small hall prom- uh, promotions and then you've got two people in the ring that are, neither of them are going to benefit from either of them getting knocked out particularly um, short of you know, or not looking for it then like, everyone's, okay. everyone's agenda is against the one thing that would help the show in the first but, place but surely like again if, you're, if I'd say Terry's fighting Saturday night you're fighting Andy Nalen I've seen Andy Nalen fight various times he's not a very good boxer it's all respect to Andy Nalen. Like, he goes out and does a job every single time. I've never seen him get knocked out. But if Terry's going out there, right, and if I'm his coach, I'm saying, look, Andy Nalen doesn't get stopped, but he's also never winning. Curtis Gargano, a man who's lost every fight, I think, bar about two that he's drawn. He's never won a fight. Why aren't lads going out just trying to absolutely just stick it on him from the opening bell to the end of that first round, from the opening bell of the second to the end of the second round, all the way through? But lads don't. They go out and they feel their way around it. And I know there's... And, and do you know what it boils down to? You're a trainer, so you yeah. surely said this to lads. What you've, no, you've... So, 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 yeah, I was going to come on to that. The problem you have is you have a lot of trainers who don't understand the theory of boxing because, truth be told, a lot of what they know they learned from YouTube. Like, they didn't come up under anyone. So, if you're a boxer and you're listening to this, here's your test for any potential trainer. They need to show you who they came up under. And if if you can't rate who they came up under, then they won't know shit either. It's that simple. So, as a boxer, you learn. I've got four rounds against a seasoned journeyman. I'm not going to be able to bomb this guy out because he's seen this all before. Let me break him down a bit. Bloody his nose up a bit. Why? Guess the crowd on my side when I see a bit of blood. Let me start, you know, taking some of the air out of his lungs with a few jabs to the body. A few few right hooks. If he's got his guard up, a few right hooks to the shoulder. You know, let him think twice about keeping those hands up. By the third and fourth round, you should have broken him down enough that there are opportunities for you to start bombing on him. It, that's all you have to do. Um, I'm sure if you talk to guys like Terry Stewart, he'll go, yeah, that's what I want my guys to do. Go out there, break him down, let him pose you a few questions, solve those problems, break him down again, and then when you've when you've taken the guy's will, put the pressure on him and see what happens. I'm not saying you could do this to someone like Chris Lake, because he's the no. exception. You know, he's 200 and something fights in. Like, you're... If anyone's going to stop Chris Lay, fair play. But he's the exception. There's 95% of other journeymen out there that you could do a better job on than you see most lads do. But look, we veered so far off track here. I mean, going back to the original thing, this whole Facebook streaming for small hall promoters, I cannot get my head around it. I get that someone at home like me last night is benefiting from it because I could sit on my sofa and watch the main event when I didn't really care about the undercard. That's fine. But how much harder is it for the fighters? I was chatting with... Uh, Chris Hobbs last night and he was saying about 
you know, he's Southern Area light heavyweight champion. He was saying it's the same as when a local TV network gets involved uh, and shows a, a show. Like, you then can't sell a ticket for it. It's so difficult because it's all being advertised. It's going out live on local TV networks. So your whole model of selling tickets just becomes so much harder. I get it. If I get there's a home for it. Look, if, if a show sells out, if a small hall show sells out completely go for it shove that on facebook live at that point because then you've just got the additional exposure and that's fine like you get people at home then watching a full capacity crowd yeah. last night i'm sat at home watching a 50 percent full uh arena at this crystal palace place i'm just thinking there's 800 people sat at home watching this for free myself included Say 80 of those would have bought a ticket, perhaps. 10% of them. 80 of them could have bought a ticket at 40 quid each. 3,200 quid that the the promoter, the fighters, etc. are missing out on. And it's just madness. Like If someone thing, if someone can yeah. come up with a reasonable reason to do this on a non-sold-out show, I'd love to hear it, that isn't just, oh yeah, but people get to sit at home and watch it for free and it's really good that you get exposure to people at home. 800 people at home is fuck all absolutely fuck all well, like also, there is no exposure is only as valuable as the product like i saw some of that boxing last night all it made me want to do is not watch any of those boxes ever again <laughs> yeah there's an element of that i mean it's it's the same as we said before i think with uh, itv4 showing some of the kind of small stuff that it breaks up some of the myths you hear about fighters you don't get an opportunity to see it other times that's fine but like you know <laughs> Some of those lads that you'd have seen last night, they're not going to go all that far in the sport. And that's fine. <laughs> We've discussed that. I'm saying Facebook Live, do it if you're a small hall promoter, if you've sold the event out. Don't do it if you haven't sold the event out because you're going to find it very difficult to sell tickets to people that maybe um and are about going and spending 35 quid when suddenly you can sit at home on the sofa rather than travel to the arena, save your money, and watch it on Facebook, like on a quality street. It's just, it's so weird to me that anyone would even consider it. It's not just about Dovebox. They've done it on MTK shows. They've done it on other ones. And the numbers just aren't there to back up the fact that, A, there's the exposure to the fans. Because the MTK half- shows are brilliant. I thought I thought them streaming was a masterstroke. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think you're right. Um, there's not enough fans watching to get that exposure that people talk about. Exposure. Exposure can come in many forms. It can come in social media. It can come in people, um, you know, putting on a decent show. But it doesn't come from 800 people watching a Facebook show. It's just, it's such a bizarre concept. Okay, let's move on to something that you can actually get excited about. <laughs> Kessler has decided that he's coming. Oh, fucking hell, yeah. <laughs> has decided he's coming out of retirement. Uh, so, Mikel Kessler back on the scene. What do you think? Why? Why has <laughs> he come out of retirement? Uh, it's such a bizarre one. Well, you said earlier when I said it to you before the podcast, you said he was shot four years ago. So, why is he coming back now? He was. Somebody proved to me that he wasn't, right? So, he made... Um, what was it? His announcement was after Green. Um, was that his last fight? I'm trying to find the date of it well, Danny, now. Danny Green or Alan Green? Uh, I know. So, of course it wasn't. It was Frotch, his yeah, last his fight. Last back in 2013. Frotch. Uh, his last win was what I was thinking of. Was not um, Green, but Brian McGee. His last win was in 2012. 2012, five years ago. Against Brian fucking McGee, right? Five-year anniversary, Mike. Um, and so he goes on and loses to Frotch. Like, 
okay, the Frotch fight was a good fight, and he ought to go out on that. He shouldn't be making a comeback, but he is making a comeback. He says the only, like his uh, strong links to the Sauerland brothers. The Sauerland brothers are the ones who are running this world boxing super series that they are going to be announcing the weight category for in uh, June, I think. And so fully expect Mikel Kessler to go out, have a fight between now and June, probably sometime around May, because there aren't that many other options, and then somehow find his way into a top 15 of a world governing body, or not even bother doing that. They'll just pick his name anyway. So fully expect the World Boxing Super Series to be contested at super middleweight or light heavyweight, I think is probably more realistic because the Sauerlands also have their hands on Jürgen Bremer. Um, so expect Mikel Kessler to move up into light heavyweight, perhaps join Jürgen Bremer there. Nathan Cleverley's got fuck all else on the plate at the moment, so he'll probably sign up for it. It just seems to me like he's signed back up as a marriage of convenience. He probably misses the sport and the Sauerlands have one more fighter they can control in this World Boxing Super Series. If he is in the World Boxing Super Series, then that tournament is already a joke. Like, a terrible farce. Because they painted the concept of it being top 15 fighters in the world, fighting it out with the six best of them. You know... Eight best from wherever it was. I've never understood why people love Kessler. Kessler's one of these world European champions. Like, you... I can't, I can't really reel off his record off the top of my head, but I'd say Kessler's meaningful wins were against Mundine and Froch. <laughs> Anthony Mundine <laughs> and Carl Froch. Froch is legit. No, 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 no. That was the Ash Cloud win. That was when Froch like turned up on the day. No, absolutely. I'm not saying had that... to weigh in by video or something. I'm not saying the scenario <laughs> is legit, but. Yeah. The, the it's win a, is it's a legit it, name. The name is legit if you just yeah. look through the record. That's one in how many fights? 40 odd yeah. fights? The guy is distinct. He, he's distinctly above average. He's not special. But you talk to guys then, I'm going to pull Spidey Jonesy out on this one, who worships the ground Calzaghe walks on. And his justification was, yeah, he beat Kessler. And I was like, Kessler is Brian McGee with a Danish accent. He's that guy who, <laughs> who, can beat people at British level and that's about it. Ward battered him and Ward wasn't really meant to batter him that easily. Look how Ward handled him. And, you know... But he had all the injuries on the back of that Ward fight as well. The eye went, didn't it? And Ward took him to school in in a way where you're like, you'll never be the same man again. So you know, about six, seven years at that point. So, so one of the things I say to people, when you study boxing, every fighter has it in them to summon up that last vestige of their fighter's will. And if you can be asked to get on my website, read it. Roberto Duran versus Iron Barkley is the prime example of this, where Roberto Duran, having been knocked out in 1984 by Tommy Hearns, and I'm getting very Spencer Fear on here, so apologies. But he got he got, <laughs> he got knocked... Don't go full Spencer. You know, he, got, he got sparked out Spencer clean. He got sparked out clean by Tommy Hearns. He had lost to Hagler before that. And he had a period of what you can call the wilderness years where he just fought for money and it wasn't anyone special. He fought Robbie Sims, who was Hagler's half-brother. Got, I mean, he, got, he might have beaten him or lost to him. And then in 89, so, so basically Barkley knocks out Tommy Hearns to win the middleweight title. Says, I'll fight Duran next. And everyone just thought it would be a massacre because Iron the Blade Barkley was a horrible man. 
But Duran found something of the old Duran from like 1980. He found it deep in him. He found it. And in that fight, he, he upset the odds and won a split decision. But he was never the same man after that. And I think Kessler's in that boat where if you remember the second half of the Froch fight, Kessler found something in him to make that fight reasonably competitive because it looked like Froch was going to run away with it. And then you end, you end that fight going, that was a lot closer than I thought it would be. And that was when Kessler had to stop because he hasn't got that anymore. You don't rebuild that. That, that last vestige of a fighter's will, you don't build that. And... Calzaghi's been smart enough to realise that he probably used all of his up in that last Hopkins fight and he doesn't need to come back. If Froch is smart, he'll realise he used everything he had in that Groves fight because let's be honest, he only won two rounds in two fights against George Groves. Froch went out and bought a new nose. He's not coming back. Yeah. So, as for Kessler, two things. One, we don't need to see him back in boxing. Number two, do not believe this guy was anything better than a six and a half out of ten boxer. Yeah, and he's not going to have improved in a retirement lasting five years or whatever. Like, You've been training in the Himalayas with boxing monks. I hope he has. Maybe he's a 6.6 out of 10 now. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck to him. But he's not going to have come back. And like, Isn't that a film? <laughs> Doctor Strange. I don't well, know. I think he's also the premise of Iron Fist, the Marvel character there, and Batman. <laughs> the Christian, awesome. Christian Christopher Nolan Batman. Fucking it's just the geeks. place to go if you need to get... <laughs> you absolute geeks. What are you on about? I ain't got a clue. Um, um, so I want to give credit to Simon Thompson for mentioning Kester um, as a question. Uh, are we finished on the Kester thing? Because he also had a supplementary. No, no, that's it. He wanted to ask, um, why is the British Boxing Board a boys club? Now, my immediate thought would be because it isn't... But, because it hasn't turned into an organisation that isn't yet. And if you look across all sports, there always seem to be boys clubs until they're not. It seems the default position to be a boys club is what I'm saying. There's a lot of background to this. Right. A lot oh, okay. of background to this. And right. we'll try not to libel anyone in the process. <laughs> why, I make no promise. break the habit of a lifetime? I make no promise, but I will try and re, uh, re-piece everything to the best of my knowledge. Uh, it may not all be 100% accurate. After the Michael Watson tragedy against Chris Eubank, the board were um, taken to the cleaners, basically, and they were given a lot... Uh, basically, they were... F- I can't remember the details, but they were sued um, for a lot of money for their lack of safety procedures that they had uh, available that night, which Michael Watson could have left that arena in a far better state had the uh, health and safety not been in kind of... maybe disarray, but certainly not as organised as it should have been. Which, in turn, implemented a whole load of changes that have been put in place, uh, such as the anaesthetist needing to be ringside. Which right, is, so comparable to today's standards, what, what was sort of different? There was no anaesthetist available at the time. I, I don't know all the details. Um, um, it's all the stuff, there was oxygen, look how long it took them to get Watson onto an ambulance. It was a calamity. If you read about it, it was a fucking calamity. Yeah, so no, on the back of that, like they uh, got sued. Uh, again, I don't really know all the details, but they got sued for a lot of money. Um, and they were helped out of that by one of the biggest boxing promoters going right now, to the best of my knowledge. Um, not necessarily the biggest one, but one of the biggest ones. Um, so, 
yeah, I'm not going to give a name. I, again, don't I, worry about it. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. We're not enlivening. So, I'm sure, everyone knows who we're talking about. <laughs> Let's go. So that's where the money came from to uh, get them out of a hole, as far as I'm aware, allegedly. Uh, <laughs> just covering as many. <laughs> Everything we're about to say is fictional. <laughs> yeah, based on a true story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can go over any ground then. Yeah. And so you've got a group of people there, the likes of Robert Smith, who's the head of the board. Um, you've got people there who haven't ever boxed, which is possibly a little bit odd. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to fire at it the criticisms. This is possibly the best way to criticise what the board do, is take their biggest competitors and take their criticisms of what the boss, uh, the board do. So BIBA, which used to be the Maltese Boxing Commission, or whatever they're called, NBC. Big dogs, big dogs. <laughs> a guy called Gianluca Di Cara, or Rio, that uh, runs them. So they're, they're almost in competition, although they won't say they're in competition with the board, but they can sanction fights in the UK. Anyone can sanction fights in the UK. Me and you can sanction fights oh, no. in the UK. This is the, my eternal frustration the, with boxing. The board have no like legal remit to be yeah. the board. Yeah, They're just yeah. like a self-appointed governing body of the sport. So the NBC, which is now Bieber, are set up. Bieber criticised the board for just being an old boys club, as per Simon Thompson's um, question. So it's a bunch of lawyers... It's a bunch of um, very well qualified people that don't necessarily. There are a few of them that have stepped in a ring, but Bieber will say, "Well, the board haven't got people that have been in the ring, so how do they know about boxing?" Blah blah blah. They're lawyers. They're this. They're that. Robert Smith, who's the head of the British board, is one of the people that I think universally people speak quite highly of. Um, even like the geezer Bieber, um, Rio, he speaks quite highly of Robert Smith. But the criticism then, the things like the board, uh, if you're, I'll give you an example, right? If you have a criminal uh, record outstanding at present, so if you're serving time for a crime, uh, then you can't have your license. So Frankie Gavin, when he got done for getting in a fight at a holiday club uh, only a couple of years back, he couldn't box in that period of time uh, because he had an outstanding criminal record that was being served. There are a number of people that are on the British Boxing Board who have criminal records. So this is... (laughs) Like, how can you single out people who are serving time for doing something against the law when actually you've got people on your board that have served time for breaking the law? But you can have have a boxing licence if you have a criminal record, though, right? Yes, if you have a criminal record. So if you've served the time already, you can have a licence. Is it hypocritical? I would argue yes. Like... At the end of the day, you're dealing well, yeah, with... yeah, what are your minimum standards? Yeah, you're dealing with a bunch of lads. Let's be, like, let's make a broad stroke on this. Most boxers are coming from a very similar background. And they're not all going to be, you know, the cleanest people, the cleanest backgrounds, etc. You know, <laughs> you've got to accept that this is a group of people that are brought up to fight on the whole. Middle England. <laughs> <laughs> um, these are people that are brought up to fight and are fighters and so a number of them will have sort of done things so Tommy Jacobs who's quite a talented middleweight he went for his boxing license but he uh, committed a crime and wasn't given it so he ended up fighting he now fights for this Bieber lot there are so many on this Bieber license that fight in the UK that want to fight on British Boxing Board of Control shows because that's where boxing you know it looks more legitimate to, to people now Somebody who hasn't got a clue, like my mum tuned in, she wouldn't know if it was a British Boxing Board of Control or Bieber one. 
But there's a difference. They have different standards. Bieber do things, you know, quite well themselves at times. They've introduced these handheld brain scanners. Um, so on the back of the might tell them. But they really need them, though, with their fighters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's be honest. Their number one heavyweight ranking is fucking Herbie Hyde. Herbie fucking Hyde. The man hasn't fought in six years. And he's Doesn't he have a criminal one. record? Yeah, he does. But Bieber will let you, you know, if you've got a criminal record, they haven't got an issue with that. They'll let you fight. They'll hire you. They'll call me. <laughs> so why is the British Boxing Board an old boys club? It's um, because it's they're self-regulating. The, the money for them comes in. So uh, the money for them would come from sanctioning fees. Uh, it comes from, they take a, a tax essentially off of the promoters, off the managers. Uh, it's a board tax. They're self-regulated. It's, there's no interest for them necessarily to start changing around who's part of the British Boxing Board of Control. Why would there be? You know, if they're all making money out of it themselves personally, they're all paying their own salaries and that. Nobody's there to regulate them. It's just it's the whole fever thing all over again, isn't it? If if you're serving yourself, there and and you, you're not suffering from it. Then what's the desire to chat? What's the, Absolutely. Yeah. If you want to know more about the background of the board, look. Just look into why they're based in Cardiff and not in London as they used to be. Awesome. Um, question I have: Are they still threatening the BBBFC? Are they still threatening to not sanction any fights with someone who insists on fighting under a Bieber card? No, oh, absolutely, because they right. they don't even acknowledge Bieber as being a legitimate sanctioning body. Like, so, uh, was there any way that they would force them into doing so? No, who's going to force them? You can't force somebody who's unregulated. You just can't. And so... so it would only, only be public pressure, wouldn't it? If, but that, there's no public pressure no, to no, do no, it. Because there. let's be perfectly, utterly blunt about it. Nobody gives a fuck about Bieber. <laughs> like, they don't. And that's just me being no. honest about and it. Not, when, not a lot about BBBFC. If you talk to most of the blokes in the O2 on a... You know, who sanctioned this fight? Who, yeah, who knows? Who yeah. cares? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so, you know, look, Bieber could help themselves by, you know, making themselves a little bit more legitimate. But if you go and log on to their, their website, BIBA, um, and have a look at their heavyweight rankings, if I went and signed up with them as a heavyweight boxer, I'd, I'd automatically be the fifth best within Bieber because there's only four on their website. <laughs> <laughs> I'd automatically be the fifth best Bieber registered heavyweight. Um, and their number one's Herbie Hyde, who hasn't fought in like five years. So I'm eyeing up number one spot. <laughs> their, their number two light heavyweight is Jody Michael. Jody Meikle. Jody Meikle's a lovely bloke, but he's a journeyman. He's got like a losing record. He's got about 10 wins and 70 losses. So that sums up to me where Bieber is. And look, just look into why the board are in Cardiff rather than in London. Because I'm not going to go into any details because I'll probably end up libeling myself. Um, okay, question for you, Terry. Um, Daniel, uh, Danny Barbato asks, how much can Freddie Roach really improve Quig, Scott Quig? Um, could he mix it with the best in the division once he has improved, or with any improvement that he does make? So, so let's look at let's look at you know Quig's high point when he fought Kiko Martinez. It's when he let his hands go. Essentially, um, there wasn't really much thought to defence. He let his hands go. Um, you know, punishing combinations kind of broke Martinez's will. Freddie Roach loves that sort of approach. Um, that's really how he sets his fighters up to fight. His fighters are, are attacking fighters. They see that as the best form of defense. 
their defenses at best are quite rudimentary, um, not quite Gallagher esque, but there's, there's an evolution. So you, you know, if you see Pacquiao, he'll have his hands up, but there's a lot more lateral movement than Gallagher really encourages. So there, there, there's a couple of quick wins you can have with Quig. It's letting him let his hands go, get him to move a bit more laterally, and Roach will bring that out of him, which he's done with Miguel Cotto. Let's look at it when he lost to Carl Frampton. You know, he couldn't cope with someone who had multidimensional movement. Roach can't seem to solve that problem either. So that's one of the downsides. I don't think he's going to give him any more nous. Ideally, you'd want someone who can teach you how to cut the ring off effectively. I don't think Roach does that. Um, someone like an Abel Sanchez would have done. That would have been a better fit for Quig because Quig's quite athletic, quite aggressive, which Sanchez likes. And Sanchez is okay on defense. So I would have probably gone with Abel Sanchez. But, you know, Quig's comfortable at the wildcard gym. I think you can add an extra 15 to 20% to Quig. Would it be enough to beat Frampton? No. Can I just uh, jump in at this point and give Andy a question? Because, you know, part of what you were saying earlier about me and Terry being singled out uh, for praise on our iTunes review. I don't think that was my exact words. <clears throat> no, that's exactly what you said in the group chat. Uh, so, Andy, a question from Mick <laughs> at Senor Tasty. So retarded. It's on the back of Skeletor making a, uh, a guest appearance last week. Uh, question: It wasn't a guest appearance, you <laughs> idiot. <laughs> Beastman versus. I'll be here forever. <laughs> Beastman versus Man at Arms. Who wins in a twelve rounder? Uh, and who are these characters? Beastman and Man at Arms. You googled them earlier. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> To hear man characters, well, what you got to consider is that uh, Beastman will enter the ring with a whip for a start. Does he? Um, like Sonny St- Edwards in that Anthony Joshua <laughs> video. <laughs> Stand at about Terrible six at five. Video. He's obviously uh, Skeletor beside me. We'll know a lot about Beastman. He's his right-hand man. Well, when I first met Beastman, he was very svelte, but I gave him some vitamins and he <laughs> suddenly became like me. <laughs> so obviously he's a, he's a big old geezer and uh, he's got that whip but Man at Arms has obviously got the Warhammer like the Mace star thing I'm and he can fire lasers out of his arms so it's going to be a tough match I think Beastman might have it on just on his size alone but that also brings us on to another question um, which is also from Mick Senior Tasty he asks, um, Skeletor, do you use the same vitamins as Anthony Joshua? <laughs> uh, sorry, vitamins, end quote. <laughs> we might use the same vitamins, but I don't think we have the same spreadsheet. I'm significantly larger than he is. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh. And if you watch when I slip and parry jabs, I'm superb. Mm. <laughs> what have we come to? <laughs> um, no more skeletal questions ever. <laughs> <laughs> okay, from Anonymous. Uh, topic for you. Is it professional for boxers to refuse interviews? due to that media outlet having interviewed their opponent first. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not one that I've come across before, but I don't really do like live interviews at um at events, but I'm assuming anonymous means um you know post fight. 
rather than like pre-fight. So you know, again, take the scenario if Terry and Andy are fighting like in two weeks' time. He's saying basically like Andy won't do an interview with me because I've already interviewed Terry. So yeah, like what kind of professional boxer is turning down any opportunity for yeah. exposure? Like they ought to be thankful for any opportunity for exposure. I can't have be... this. This has some precedent. This this question. It must. Have. Yeah. When I messaged anonymous back saying, "Has this actually happened?" I'm guessing he said, "Yeah, yeah, it's happened a few times." Uh, but yeah, well, to be honest, I wouldn't answer any of their questions. <laughs> <laughs> I I just I to be honest, no, I would. I'd club a lang the whole thing. Prediction. <laughs> Pain. I would. I'd just. I'd just be like, nah, because. You know, sometimes I think we feel we have a right to access from people that we might not necessarily have earned. And I always say, never appeal to anyone's sense of duty, appeal to their self-interest. So I, personally, I do think if if I have a young fighter under my charge and I think the exposure is good, I'm like, no, no, do the interview. It doesn't matter who he spoke to. Just make sure that yours gets more views. That's how you win this battle. But... You know, I, and I think it's my tip for all the 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 YouTube guys and the bloggers and the whatnot who are doing a good job. Remember, appeal to a fighter's sense of self-interest. If you can't sell it to a fighter, it's unlikely you're going to get the cooperation you'd want. And I think that's one of the areas that guys don't really understand. They go, well, you spoke to Coogan, you should speak to me. And it's like, no, no, I spoke to Coogan to get 50,000 views. What are you going to give me that will make me feel the same way I do about Coogan? And so it's no shots to anyone. It's sometimes you have to remember it's about appealing to people's self-interest. Yeah, see, I've never had a lad turn down the uh, the request for an interview ever. Um, but you know, I liked your interview with Domba. Did you? Yeah. Uh, that's what, that was wild about that one. Um, <laughs> well, I don't know if that's going to happen again. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, you, these lads out there, they, they kind of beg for the exposure, a lot of them, uh, and they'll be thankful for it. But yeah, you need, I can't understand why a fighter would turn it down just because you've interviewed their opponents, certainly at a lower level. Don't get me wrong. If you're talking like the highest level, then it's all about mind games and that. But if you're talking two lads that are going to be fighting for an area level title, say, um, I just I don't get it because they should be using these opportunities if nothing else just do an interview and talk for 30 seconds about who your sponsors are because I'm, I'm going to sound like an ass at the moment I think there should be less exposure for boxers <laughs> just there should be a lot less like don't interview someone who is 1-0 unless unless he has something in his past like maybe he won a national title and you know he's being heralded fine but don't interview these guys for the sake of it because what you do is you devalue your time and your effort and they just come to see it as vanilla. You see, appealing to people's self-interest. But you should value your own time enough to say, I want to interview the people I believe are going all the way because there's there's that follow-on benefit for when they cross over, people come back to these early interviews. You start interviewing some guy in in Coventry who's 1-0 and uh, great, you know, you, you you were the first guy to interview him, but... Yeah, but I do yeah. my interviews. Like, if I'm interviewing a fighter, I just do it because I enjoy talking to boxers about what I do. I don't do it well, for anything other than my personal enjoyment but, and to help them out a bit. But that's fine. 
like as but you know there are guys who expect an end result oh right yeah, yeah. yeah. so those that are looking to get money yeah. out of it wherever yeah be is, smart uh, in who you dedicate your time to because there there are guys and i look i respect them who will go around the country with a camera and interview people be strategic in how you do it because that's when it becomes valuable you know yeah. I, i'm not going to pick any examples out because i don't have the data in front of me but let's just say you're a guy with a camera and you say right I'm going to go and interview Courtney Bennett because he's just won the London's at super heavyweight in the amateurs. He looks like he could go all the way for the record. True. Um, I can see why, because there's a massive buzz around him. Are you then going to go and interview some other lad who's boxing out of a boxing club in, in Barking or Far East? Is it worth it? No, and you can't go on the principle that I don't want to miss anything. You should have the courage of, of your convictions to say, here's a guy I'm interested in. I think he's got something interesting to say. I think it's something my audience would want to you know, engage with. And then let's do it that way. Because I want to click on stuff, and I am going to mention someone now, because it's only fair. The Fight Talk guys. I like a lot of the stuff they do. you know. And yes, I, I do listen to other blogs, and I do follow other platforms. I like a lot of the stuff the Fight Talk guys do. And, you know, some of you know, I mean, because I look, I go, ah, oh, that's quite interesting. Um, you know, well-prepared guys, they know their stuff. And so let's all aspire to those sorts of levels of being strategic in who we engage with and then we follow it up, you know. And that's how you build the relationships because that's what Coogan did. He was, excuse me, he was strategic in who he targeted and he built a profile. Now he has a platform where he can talk to anyone and they see the value in it. Yeah, but I mean, the, the Fight Talk guys, um, Craig and the Sam, who uh, I've you know, spent a bit of time with down at York Hall, both lovely, lovely blokes uh, who hopefully we'll be able to meet up on May 20th with, uh, that we'll come on to later. Um, but yeah, you know, they do it for the love of the sport and to help those lads out at the bottom. They're very much like myself. Um, so you've got to give affection to anybody that's spending their own time to go and do it. They're not doing it for the money. They're not doing it for anything other than to help support people and because they love the sport and like that's brilliant uh, fair play to them Charmir asks I'm going to break this down to two an Charmere. African oh, an, boy. an African Char he goes he uses the Twitter handle of pod question why do heavyweights weigh in uh, I know the rules with wearing clothing are a bit random but I'm pretty sure if you are underweight you can fake it um, you're not going to be that under anyway also guys in the lower Division lower weights, sorry, often pull them. How often do they pull a mani and use weighted clothing? I think we need to break this into two. First of all, why do heavyweights weigh in? Process. So, the last thing you want is something to happen to a heavyweight, and you go, Well, why did you violate your own processes which require you to weigh in the day before? Oh, well, they're heavyweights, they don't need to. You'll get sued. So, that's the most logical and legal explanation. You don't want to get sued for not following your own processes. If you go back to the early 80s, when I think it was the IBF got sued, because basically they let Don King, they let Don King do what the hell he wanted with the rankings. So I think it was them and the WBA that then came under scrutiny in America where they said, listen, you, know, you have operations in the US. If you want to function here, you've got to stick to our, you know, you've got to stick to our principles Show us your rules and your guidelines, and you've got to stick to them. This is why, if you see with the IBF, they're the best at bringing on mandatories because they dare not screw up because they're New Jersey-based and they dare not screw up. 
So the heavyweights would just be a process thing. There, there's nothing medical because you still have to have your medical checks done. It's just process. Okay. Um, how often do they wear weighted clothing? Can you explain pulling a mani as well? Um, yeah. So the idea that you would put um, weights of some sort into your clothing to boost your weight up to fight in a higher weight category it's not something i'm really aware of i don't know if terry can give more examples but you don't have to you know if you're fighting say middleweight right 160 pounds i could fight at middleweight if i weighed 140 pounds they're not going to stop me i don't have to weigh up to that's the that's the top limit of the weight i can fight under that it's just not advantageous for me to do so um the normal time you see people play tricks with the weight is your check weights um, so if we go back to Brooke Golovkin, when Brooke came in at 176 pounds on his 30-day weigh-in, which was bang on the, what was it, the 10% limit? Yeah. And he just overhydrated. That that wasn't that wasn't Kel Brook walking around saying I'm 176. He just overhydrated to say to Golovkin, right, you know, I want to give you the impression I'm going to struggle to make this weight. But they had a month ago, you know, they, they probably gave him something that took all that fluid out and he was back down to 168, 169, which was probably where he'd have expected to be, make the weight comfortably. So that you can play tricks with weight in that sense. I think with heavyweights, they don't really play tricks, but I think you're finding now a lot of heavyweights are masking certain activities by coming in, not looking in the right kind of shape. So it doesn't draw suspicion. Okay. A Daenerys DMT. Uh, apologies, we've missed your question last week. So we will be addressing it now. Um, do you think there should be a super heavyweight category? Now, for the uh, most heavies are often over 220 pounds. And what consequences would there be of creating a new category, i.e. belts, money and politics? I think we have too many weight categories at present. I don't see necessarily as an advantage to creating a new one. Um, so cruiserweight, for instance, isn't a historical weight category. It was created as a a middle ground. Um, do I want to see a super heavyweight? Not really. I just think any heavyweight. I think Terry has the same view of this. I'd be surprised if not. Any heavyweight who's six foot one, six foot two, looks small in the land of heavyweight giants nowadays. And should probably be working harder to get down to cruiserweight. I just I don't think there's a place for a six foot one, six foot two heavyweight. That's kind of what cruiserweight's for. And then just let the real big units fight it out up at heavyweight. So I have a theory on this. Cap it. Cap heavyweight. Nothing above two hundred and fifty five pounds. Nothing. Can't fight can't box at anything above two hundred and fifty five pounds. Who would you miss out on? Yeah, who who would that have affected over the last five? Ten Ian years? Lewison. Um, Anyone what? that would have mattered about? I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> what a miss! What a miss! <laughs> well, he would have fucking got his ass in gear and so, got under two five. So, so someone like Fury could probably boil down to two fifty five. There's nothing on him that suggests he couldn't. All all the boxes can boil down, right? Someone like David Price might struggle because he's huge. But essentially what you're saying is bring all these guys down to about 255. And what that means is the Giants will come in a lot skinnier, which gives the little short stocky guys that one punch chance. So now we we, we level the playing field that way. I think it's what they do in the UFC where they just cap it and they say, 
we're not getting these 350 pound guys because it looks bad for the sport the aesthetics of the sport look bad when you just got you know Andy Ruiz Jr. comes in belly hanging out like he's literally just been <laughs> gang banging in East LA <laughs> <laughs> and it is, it's, it's, it's embarrassing. And I think I've said on the podcast before, whatever you think of Joshua, you look at Joshua and go, if that guy's world champion, I'd be like, okay, he looks like he should be. And there's, there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah. Him, Wilder, those sorts of guys who come in in shape. And if we had a weight limit, then we'd have that. I don't think you need the super heavy because it just encourages people to engage in the wrong kind of behavior. Uh, quick question. Would, um, do you think, Hay and Bellew would have been a better fight if they'd have both fought a cruiserweight. No, I think Hay would have still fucked his ankle. Well, it would have been the same fight. (laughs) It's the two same people. It would have been the same fight. Okay, I just wondered. Um, Also, if you were, you said about there's too many uh, boxing weights. What would you do in terms? of How many weights would you strip out if were it were you to decide? Do you know off the top of your head? No. Straw weights, flyweights, super flow, all that stuff below 118 pounds. Just Nobody can box ditch. below welterweight. <laughs> okay. like, like, like middleweight, I'm not a fan of. Like, why do you have to have something between welterweight and middleweight? I, I don't get it. I tell you, the only time I'd do that is if you had same day weigh-ins. Because yeah, if you have someone coming at 147, rehydrating to 165, you might have someone weighing in. As a 160, like Golovkin walks into the ring at 164, 165. But look what happened when he fought Kel Brook. So I think you need something that says you can't do any, no heroics with the weight cut. You have to fight your natural weight, so you weigh in on the day. Okay, um, just speaking about AJ then, uh, Adonaris also says that he, I suspect Klitschko will think about cancelling the AJ fight. Could you elaborate on the effects of a cancellation and what it could have if the AJ fight is rescheduled? I'm not entirely sure what he thinks might happen. But... There are rumours of an injury, right? To Klitschko? Yeah. Um, they've been circulating for about five or six days now that Klitschko's injured himself in camp and that the fight's off. I'm, I haven't heard from anyone I think is credible that the fight's off. But if that fight were off... I don't think they'd give Klitschko the chance again. Um, and then you're looking at, you know... They'll get Eric Molina over. Bring him yeah. back. For Wembley, they'd just, I would imagine they'd just whack Chisora in there. They'd whack Chisora in there for name value. And then they'd look to do... Because people want their money back. And you're not paying to go to Wembley to watch Josh versus Chisora. And then they'd say, right, the big fight in the summer will be AJ versus Wilder. Okay, third question he asks, style-wise, who are your favourite boxers and trainers or the best combination of both? Cool. Mix. <laughs> Pick a mix. I, I haven't really considered that much. Um, style-wise, I like a flashy knockout artist. You know, just because I was brought up on him, somebody like a Prince and a scene, um, just has always appealed to me. Um, just because of his brashness, um, you know, his cockiness in the ring, but he could back that up to a level. Uh, it would have been nice if he'd have carried on, you know, well after the Barrera defeat, but, you know, we'll let him off now. It's uh, it's many years back, but... Uh, train, I don't really... I don't know, I don't pay that much attention to a number of trainers, I suppose. Uh, Abel Sanchez makes a good fighter for me, uh, but Terry's probably more, you know, adept to that side of it. 
Chuck him the um, So, what style-wise fighters I like. So I like people who... I like trench warriors. I will always be a guy that likes trench warriors. I like people who are actually good on the inside. So I'm always going to start with Roberto Duran as a prime example of a guy who didn't need space. You could give him space, he could outbox you. You could deny him space and he could outwork you on the inside. Um, Salvador Sanchez, I put in a similar category, you know, very, very good on the inside. Had that nice right-hand counter that he could launch from anywhere and looked quite elegant when he boxed. So he's another one. And from that era as well, someone else who impressed me, probably Alexis Aguayo, who, who was like the Linares of his day, really flashy, you know, <clears throat> ooze class. I know he lost to Aaron Pryor, but still, you know, he moved up a fair few weight categories to fight Aaron Pryor. Um, touching on the heavyweights, people all know I'm a big Foreman fan. Um, there's nothing like menace and brutality, and that's all Foreman specialised in, in the 70s and even when he came back. So I've got guys like that. From a British perspective, who do I think were clever fighters who are British? See, I can't even say that I like the clever fighters. I, again, style-wise, someone like Carl Froch to me. I've always enjoyed his style. Look, look, somebody who probably needs to get really hurt before you see the best of him. <laughs> and so, you know, like the Yusuf Mack fight, for instance. You didn't see the best of him in that Yusuf Mack fight. But you saw the best of him in George Groves 1 when he'd been floored, when he goes back to the corner, when he hasn't got a clue that he's been floored because he's been hit so hard. <laughs> and yet he's still got the absolute gonads on him to get up and fight. Like That kind of style, that real heart, grit, determination, that's something I've always liked. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a British. You throw guys like Hay in there, Groves in there. I thought that was one of the few times you've seen someone re reimagine what a boxer should look like. So credit to Adam Booth for doing that. One out of left field. I quite like watching Gary Logan. I watched Gary Logan on YouTube. And in this era, Gary Logan would clean up. I think he was just in a tougher era then. But he, I mean, good body attack. Understood the value in picking his punches. But I won't bore you guys, man. If anyone really wants to know, DM me and we can have this discussion forever. Uh, one more to throw in, Lennox. Just had, th Lennox and Riddick Bow as well as heavyweights. Class. Trainers, um, Ray Arcel. Obviously, famously, JD Sports, the king of trainers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Go and get your trainers from there. Um, they're doing a nice camouflage Nike Air Max if you fancy it. Um, just tell them, just tell them New Age Boxing 15, you get 150% off. <laughs> I'd pay you to take them away. <laughs> um, no, so trainers... <laughs> Um, this is a, I always judge trainers by A, fighters they've developed virtually from scratch and B, more importantly, what, you know, I mean, great tactical master strokes that they've pulled off. So people say Angelo Dundee, but I think most people understand Muhammad Ali pretty much trained himself and Dundee would come towards the end of camp and, you know, was just more of a motivator, but he did know his boxing. Eddie Futch, for me, sits up there as number one. When you have two fighters that give Muhammad Ali problems in two different ways, you're a hell of a fighter yourself, a uh, hell of a trainer yourself. So we'll put him there. Gil Clancy, we've had Ray Arcel um, for the work he did with Duran, obviously. Um, Bill Miller for James Tony. Let's not forget that. Uh, George Benton for Evander Holyfield. 
Um, I think he's class as well. Eddie Fush for Riddick Bow, he gets another mention. From the British perspective, guys like Adam Booth for obviously, you know, rewriting a lot of the rules of boxing. Daenerys, do you know you've started here? <laughs> yeah, we'll be here all day. Yeah, right. I, I need to put a lid on that. Look, Game Touch, this is the sort of thing Terry relishes talking about, which is love. It's great. You can you can see, you can hear the passion oozing out of him. Message but... him on, on Twitter, um, Facebook, because... He's had his time talking about this podcast. <laughs> now he has to answer from Daniel Saint. Has Andy Alien paid Terry his money yet? No, he hasn't. So <laughs> here we go. <laughs> so when was uh, Ahara Davis Terry Matthews? March fourth. March fourth. So a month almost to the day since. So if, 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 if I mean hit him up and go, have you paid your debts? Just ask him. Have you paid your debts? You know, he he has the PayPal details. He has what he needs. He has the PayPal details. <laughs> he has what he needs. So hopefully this will happen. Otherwise, I will I'll phone up Frank Warren and go. You might have to. You know, what I mean, just like you did with the British board, you might have to. <laughs> and, right. and 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 uh. no one can sue me because I'm quite happy to defend myself. And if you get those costs, it's eight hundred pounds an hour. Right, brilliant. Right, that's that went off a cliff. All right. <laughs> So we have Smith Williams coming up. Um, we have David McGinley has asked, "Can you break down the Smith Williams fight in terms of a winner versus Styles, etc.? How far can both go beyond this towards world level?" Uh, and then he mentions he's a big fan of Williams. Well, at least Smith's coming back from world level, isn't he? I mean. The most bullshit world level you're ever going to see with the defense against Radajevic and Jimmy Kelly Jr. Um, that was just a glorified British title that he was holding before he got beaten up by Canelo. So Liam Smith is going to come in with his hands up and aim for the body hooks um, because that's his style and that's kind of what we, we've grown accustomed to out of him. Um, Liam Williams, I think, is possibly the more refined fighter out of the two of them. Um, they can both bang. I don't think there's any uh, any doubt about that. It's a great it's a great fifty fifty fight, but it's a British title fight. That's what it is. Uh, there shouldn't be this WBO um, bullshit belt on it, um, but there is. And for me, I'm going to pick Liam Williams. I'm not saying I have any confidence necessarily. I just think Gary Lockett can possibly tool him up a little bit better. Uh, and he's not been tested to his fullest. Liam Smith was tested to his fullest against Canelo, granted a very special talent, um, but didn't have the ability to switch what he was doing from you know, what we see in most fights to anything special, whereas I think perhaps Liam Williams might have that ability. Uh, more, than, more of a comment than a question, he says, uh, but I think he's hoping to lead on to something. Um, if Daniel Dubois is as good as I'm led to believe, then I totally imagine within five years we could have potentially AJ, Dubois and Huey Fury all at their peaks. If all this develops as expected, will the UK have ever had such a high level of heavyweight talent? There's a lot of sort of moving parts in there, but what would you say? It depends how you want to measure it. In terms of skill, um, the Furies and Daniel Dubois are probably higher up there. Sheer athleticism and brute force. You're looking at you're looking at Triple D and AJ. 
or Fury right Tyson Fury right now. Well, no, no, but but, but <laughs> Fury's not really one for destruction. He he will break you down. Well, he he does actually go on to say, um, I don't envisage Tyson Fury boxing in five years. No, so I don't know. It's not going to be an amazing generation. I think it will be. They'll sell it to us like it's an amazing The problem generation. is there's enough belts knocking about. <clears throat> that they can all avoid each other. Yeah, that A, they can all avoid each other, and B, they can make it look in the history books like it's an amazing generation yeah. because they can all hold various belts at various times. And then remember, like we can't even compare this to the 90s because they aren't the American heavyweights that they used to be. So guys like Derek Williams, who is Dom Akinladi's manager, so when he got to world level, man, you're, you're fighting serious guys back then your Michael Benz your Michael Moras your Ray Mercers these were seriously tough men whereas I don't think you have that same challenge now and I don't think there's much coming out of the Eastern Bloc to scare anyone so we're we're kind of you know the best of a quite mediocre bunch where he also asks where does Floyd stand in the analogues of history Uh, two points to stand out for me I'm keen to get your thoughts on his legacy will be considered a lot greater 20 years from now when we look back through rose-tinted glasses of, in inverted commas, the glory days, and his CV of wins. Uh, also, he may not be the best ever, but is he actually the hardest to beat? Or was he the hardest to beat? Um, Mayweather's the best in-ring technician ever. Um, in terms of his ability to execute the full range of boxing. I don't think there's anything that's beyond him. I think he stands on his own. He had every punch in the book. I know people say Ali's the greatest. Ali couldn't really throw an uppercut. Um, wasn't really one for left hooks either. Um, so Ali's just... In fact, I always take Ali out of the discussion about the greatest because he transcended boxing. You know what I mean, you're talking about one of the great 10 or 20 people that have ever lived. With Mayweather, I think it's hard. Like, I don't want to hear anything about Sugar Ray Leonard. Because Ray Ray Leonard wasn't as consistent for as long as Floyd. Duran was, but he had a lot of low points as well. Hearns was too chinny to be in that discussion. Ray Robinson, I don't think we were close enough to Ray Robinson to really appreciate him outside of YouTube videos. We didn't have that full social context. So I'm always going to Back, back for Mayweather do I think he's the hardest to hit I think Prince Nassim was pretty damn hard to hit I think it's hard to hit Floyd clean but he was there for the left jab oh, watch the Cosso fight he was there to be hit people underestimate how tough Floyd is he's there to be hit on the, on on his right hand side but geez when you throw a right hand it's just not landing and you know he's great because there's boxing before Mayweather and there's boxing after Mayweather and no one's making the money that they were when Mayweather was around. Uh, it seems to me that his legacy is considered quite quite great now given the amount of views and interest that he commands whenever he stepped into a ring. He's the biggest thing boxing has produced since Tyson. So I, I find it hard to see how it would get much better. Mm. Well, I think history will be kinder to him. But because... Think about what happens in history. You go back to the 1980s, there were enough journalists around who had 
done stuff in the 40s that they were still saying Joe Lewis was the greatest heavyweight ever. <laughs> wow. But all those guys died off just with the passage of time. And then it was Muhammad Ali. And as those Muhammad Ali guys start to drift off, it might even be someone saying, well, I think Anthony Joshua was a lot better or the Klitschko's were better. It's always about who's really making the noise in these sorts of... Well, actually, arenas. then goes on to say, um, finally... Lennox Lewis, where does he rank in the all-time heavyweights? I'm biased as he was my hero growing up, which I'm sure that we can relate to, um, at, at least on the level of that he was pretty prominent when we were growing up. Yeah. Basing it on CV, he probably makes top 10, not top 5. Basing it on if everyone were able to fight everyone, then it would be, for me, Ali, Foreman... Tyson. The, the cogs are turning. Yeah, Ali, Foreman. Mike Tyson. Pete Tyson. Joe Frazier. And I think I'd probably put Lennox at fifth. Oh, and he snakes and, in. And it's tough. Back post. It's, it's tough because I think a peak Riddick bow would always be to peak Lennox Lewis. I think Riddick had the so higher peak. make him sixth? No, 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 no. Riddick had the higher peak. But Lennox was... Like you knew Lennox could do that month in, month out. With Riddick Bowe, he had that Holyfield fight where he was, you know, imperious. He took more risks than he needed to, but still gave us a fight. And then we didn't really get that again. We didn't get the progression. Okay. Um, I know I'm going to get pulled up on that five, but I stand by that five. So anyone that's got an argument with that, you know where to find me. Okay, finally, we have a question from... Podcast royalty. I'm afraid that I can't offer that uh, title out to anyone, just anyone. But this is <laughs> podcast royalty. <laughs> you know, just the way that royalty works, birthright and all that jazz. Um, just because he helped give birth to a king doesn't make him royalty. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yes, John Theobald. Um, I, My dad, I'm guessing yeah. you can, yeah, you can assume whose dad that is. Um, shout out to the big man. He, asked, he insisted, by the way, that he gets a mention. Yeah, like, yeah. It wasn't even like, I'm, I'm submitting an anonymous question as your dad. Like, no, yeah. he, he wanted his mention. Such is my admiration for the man that he also gets given the title of king. Given that you've thrown up in his house various times <laughs> through your teen years. Uh, I'm <laughs> sure. We've been out on the pits. There's, there's worse things I've done as there's well. Worse. No doubt. <laughs> <laughs> there's worse things, yeah. If we're calling them things. Yeah. Um, in that house. So, yeah, John, you're a legend. <laughs> uh, Kenny asks, uh, to please explain the difference between glove types, um, the names of, and why are some of them better suited to others, given they have the same ounces of padding, why are they different, etc., etc. Et yeah, I think Terry mentioned this last week about punches, or like gloves for punches, or gloves for different types of fighters. So how many different types have we got? For, for what, terms of, what, how many different... Glove brand. No, not the brands, like the different types. I think, you know, I was chatting so, with him the other day and he said, if all the, the ounces of the gloves are the same, why is it that certain gloves suit cool. certain okay. fighters? So, shouts out to Ammo. Yeah. <laughs> Your glove sponsors. Officially, official glove sponsor. Have you got hold of those gloves yet? They're in the post, apparently. So, they can still be shit. I'm still carrying on my Or they're just in the post. <laughs> They'll be in the post. It's December, Terry. <laughs> they keep telling me they're arriving tomorrow. You know, official, you know, got, got to shout out the sponsors. Um, <laughs> so, if you look at most elite level pros, 
and you were to open their kit bag, all of them would have pretty much a pair of winning gloves. They'd be winning gloves, maybe 14s or 16 ounces. And they'd be for the bag because, you know, winning, A, incredibly well made. They use really expensive grades of leather so they don't shave the leather down. It's nice and thick. And they use... So I think their their foam is a proprietary blend as well. So it's really designed to cushion and support. So most boxers use it, particularly if you want to avoid hand injuries, which is why you'll see a lot of top-level boxers with winning equipment. So they're, they're great for that. You wouldn't want them in a fight because essentially you're giving your opponent an easier time of it. At the other end of the scale are the Clayton Reyes gloves. And you can get these for the bag as well. They're essentially... It's like someone's just cut up shoes and made boxing gloves with them. The, 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 the leather's that thick, so that's where a lot of the weight goes. A lot of the weight goes in a thicker leather. Um, they put horse hair in there, in addition to foam as well. So you'll find with Claire Torres gloves, your fists go through a lot quicker, which is why they're known as punchers gloves. So most Mexicans will use Reyes gloves, um, particularly at the lower weights where you need all the advantages you can get in terms of getting knuckle contact. So they're your two polar opposites in terms of what pros would buy. Then there are various options between that. So you can use, like Manny Pacquiao wanted to use against Mayweather, the Everlast MXs, which are pure punchers gloves. So there's there's virtually nothing in the knuckles. And So we, where does the padding go on that then, if not the knuckles? So, well, no, 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 no. Well, remember, you're asking really more where does the weight go? Well, sorry, yes, yeah. that's true. So, so the weight can... Remember, it just has to weigh 16 ounces, yeah, right? It doesn't have to be 16 ounces. A giant ounces. buckle on, the, yeah. so, so, on yeah. the wrist. So theoretically, I could pad out my wrist. <laughs> Some massive weight on the wrist. Built a Fitbit into your glove. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, so no, no, you, you can do that. And the leather will take up a fair bit of the weight. And then you just decide on where you want that padding. So A badge. Yes. Yeah, so, 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 so winning will take it with the approach of we're going to really camber it towards where the knuckles are. Grant will be a bit more even saying, well, you might catch this part of the hand as well. You might slap a bit, you know, Calzaghe gloves. So you might get a bit of a rounder shape. So if you actually look at the shape of the glove, you, know, you might get the narrow fist and the bulbous head, or you might get the wider fist and a more narrow head. Or you might it. get the wider wrist and fuck all around your knuckles. No, no, but, 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 but you <laughs> like you're wearing sweatbands. You, you can, and this is why they negotiate on what gloves you can use. Because if Klitschko turns up and goes... Yeah, I've had these made in Russia. <laughs> they have nothing. the blood of the victims still on them. Yeah, and there's just nothing there. AJ will be like, no, 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 that's not safe. You know, so, so I mean, that that's what happens with the pros. Um, when they're training, if you want to feel the punch response and not hurt yourself, you're going to get a pair of grants. If you want to feel everything, you're going to get the Reyes's. If you want to feel nothing, you're going to get the winning. And that's essentially, they're the three main brands. Everlast cover everything in between. Like, if you need a pair of gloves for 30 quid or 300 quid, Everlast will do that for you. Everlast, the king of gloves. The king of gloves. My <laughs> my favourite now brand of glove. Uh, above ammo, even. <laughs> Funny enough, Terry disagrees with you. It's weird, that. I know, I, know, I know Floyd's having a look at a pair of ammo gloves if he does fight McGregor. But, but don't Floyd quote Moore. me. <laughs> Surely it doesn't matter what he uses in that fight were it to happen. 
I, I am really excited for that fight to happen and to see how many people pick McGregor as, oh, oh McGregor's going to upset the odds. That would be enjoyable. I'm really excited to see how many of those people will, will put money on it and then, you know, yeah. hopefully raise the odds. Yeah. <laughs> okay, right, we've reached the end of the podcast. Thank wait, you. Wait, no. Oh, no, we haven't. No. Stop no. press. What's Terry bringing up? So there, there's one from from Danny Barbata, which has just come to me, and oh. it's about Josh Taylor versus O'Hara Davis. Here we go. Uh, okay. Does it need building up, or should they just face it now? Just face it now. Both go? I say the fight happens now. Yep. I think both can go all the way and have a rematch again at 140 or 147. Both are big enough to make the weight at 147. I don't see what the issue is. Just let them fight. It's, there's money in it already. Both both are good talkers. You know, you've got Hearn sticking his nose in. You've got Frampton involved. You've got, you know, the whole Shane Eddy thing. There's enough elements in that that you'd happily head to a stadium to watch that. The only thing I would say as to why not doing it now is that Tyrone Nurse holds that title for the British. I think that's exactly... That, that fight for British title would be superb because it would bring legitimacy to that British title belt that you don't always get in fights. Um... And so I would just say, you know, maybe let Tyrone Nurse get his third defence or, you know, vacate the belt. I would like to see those two fight within the next six to nine months for the British title. And then one more. Well, okay. Apologies. These I'll these wait. these have come in while while recording. That's all right. Um you crack on that. From Big Vern forty six loyalty and levels. If ever you want someone who doesn't buy the matchroom hype, follow Big Vern. Big Vern? I don't think Big, I'll follow him. Big Vern 46. Big Vern 46. Right, we're going to do a live Twitter follow right now. Yeah, so... This is where I'll find out I do follow him, and then... Yeah. Uh, I'll him <laughs> so he has a question around... Big Vern 46. I think he just came up then. Yeah. So, yeah, his question is just around StubHub and well, Eddie yeah, Hearn. There's no Big Vern 46. This is bullshit. I thought you came out when you was typing it yeah. in. This is like Big people are like, 46. why is this even being recorded? Yeah, no, I don't blame those people. Um, so that gives me a chance to say to you guys that there is no Big Van Forty Six on <laughs> on the twentieth of May. Uh, myself, Martin, and Terry, you definitely going to be with us. Why well, need to get a ticket? Seeing as you guys only thought of yourselves. That's not blame quite Andy. How it he... Um, but we're going to be at the Copper Box Arena. Um, to watch, amongst others, uh, Javonta Davis. Or Javonte Davis, as some idiots insist on calling him. But anyway, regardless of that, we're going to be at the Copperbox Arena. And given uh, that we've been... Well, at that point, we'll only be just shy of almost two years of doing this. I'm on it. That's a live follow for Big Van 46. My man. Okay, Big Van. And is miraculously, he, he came into existence today. It was picnic. <laughs> Problem in chair, not in computer. <laughs> um, so yeah, you are all cordially invited to come and meet us. I mean, come and get- meet us. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be doing book signings. Yeah, we'll be doing book signings. Five pound a selfie. Uh, uh, um, really, uh, M- Martin's bringing the new age t-shirts. He's offering signed ones for forty-two pounds. <laughs> um, you, can, you can get them on StubHub for one hundred and fifty. <laughs> <laughs> They've all sold out, unfortunately. You can only get them on stuff up. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, frankly, you're not going to be able to talk to me much about boxing. You can talk to Martin and, and Matty David will testify. There's no point talking to me. 
I'd love I'll it if you showed up there and just like, slapped I'll, you and who are you? Uh, I'll just stand there like I've had a lobotomy. <laughs> I'd like it like if he turned up and just ignored you, like blanked you. Didn't bother slapping you, just <laughs> pretended you didn't exist. Um, anyway, so, yeah, well, I don't know. We're going to be there and we'd like um, you guys to come well, along so, so and what I'm say have is, a beer with you. There are enough people that listen to this that will be there. Um, I'm going to focus on the podcast, guys, first, because you need to share the word as well. So we can all, everyone just gets their, their their band of brothers together. And, you know, let's all post up somewhere. Now, I don't know where you go for a drink in the Copper Box. I'm guessing the star of Hackney Down or something equally hipsterish. Um, But listen, let's try and do it. Because, number one, I think it's just good for all the people who do stuff in boxing and do it out of love. Let's all just get together, shake hands, smile. Have a few photos that we can tweet and have Tabitha tell us how good we look. Shouts out to Tab, man. <laughs> Love Tabitha. Um, but let's do it properly. If we want to do it, let's do it properly. And let's do it as a whole unit, man. Fight talk, guys. Pep talk, guys. Shaz. Excuse me. Um, Boxing Asylum, if they're there as well. Get everyone involved. I mean, Box Media TV. All of the guys, man. Box Talks. Everyone. Let's all just... Frank Warren. Get down there, man. Andy Ailing, more importantly. Drinks are on him. Eddie Hearn, come on down. Just get the whole boxing community down there. Yeah, why not? And let's let's let's. <laughs> I mean, just have a, a day. Hopefully, it's a nice day. Hordes of people. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Let's push it. Let's push it every week. I'm going to keep pushing this. A uh, couple of things we haven't touched on. Brooks spends seventeen thousand tickets sold. Who'd have thought that happened in Sheffield? So that's a good. That's looking like it might sell out. I don't know where everyone is staying because there are yeah, no hotels in Sheffield. By the way, can I all. just can I just add on to that? The absolute like, if you need the definition of stupidity, you've got people that are selling tickets on StubHub for eighty quid for forty quid face value tickets, while you can buy forty quid face value tickets on the Sheffield United website still. So you can still <laughs> buy those tickets for forty pounds. If anyone out there buys an eighty pound ticket of forty pound, you're a fucking idiot. Anyway, enough of that. They're trying to. It was a um, being. It's being reviewed in the government at the moment. They're trying to get rid of this secondary market. There's a full motion about it, yeah. but so that needs another hour. But we don't have that. Now StubHub will lobby for that. That'll never happen. They'll just get a slap on the wrist and go, "Okay, can you at least send them a voucher so they can get fifty pence off their next purchase?" <laughs> okay, and that brings us to. Did we address that last minute question that you had? Um, Eddie Hearn StubHub. Sure, they get a kickback somewhere probably hiding their accounts as royalties and licensing everyone's happy no one wants to pay for StubHub stop using StubHub man just stream the shit yep yep agreed so that brings us to the end so if you're interested in turning up at the Copper Box on the 20th come along it'd be great to let us know man make it public as well don't just be there all silent tweeting man be public about it let's uh, do this so yeah yeah we'll arrange a mass meet I like the sound of this yes it's on and more importantly listen Newageboxing.co.uk is correct. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> Nervous pause there. The sevenwallsboxing.com. If you guys aren't, I mean, I mean, trawling through those websites, how are you going to find questions or how are you going to pull us up for screwing up? You know, put that work in. Tweets. I want people aren't retweeting my stuff. Uh, huh? uh, thank you. Also, thank you very much um, to who was it, Matty David and the other the, the... questions. Dave McGinley with the, you know. With the questions that was, you know, we needed to address. It was the guys I most specifically wanted to thank. Oh, uh, for the, was uh, the, oh, the reviews. iTunes reviews and uh, Jack Beeston. Listen, if, if you're listening to this on iTunes, just leave us a review, like yeah. right now. Oh, yeah, just yeah. leave me and Martin a review. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
whatever. I mean, look, I, I, we just all love doing this, so it's, it's appreciated. Any anything, well, you're anything still, positive still, you're, is appreciated. You're still, you're still love doing it. Anything negative is also appreciated by Martin. Martin loves reading the negative ones. If you really feel passionately negative about it, then I don't give a shit. Give it, uh, if you don't listen, give you don't us like a it, don't listen. <laughs> anyway, at least tell us. That's enough. An hour and 40 minutes in. So thank you very much, and we will speak to you next week. Take care, you lovely people. Take care. I've